Hi, this is Aaron Haggerty. I'm Ben's guest on Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest, as you just heard, is Aaron Haggerty, a California-based drummer who played for Al McKay and his Al McKay All-Stars for 11 years, Al McKay being a former guitarist for Earth, Wind & Fire. Aaron's also recorded and or toured with Cool in the Gang, Eric Gales, Gary Clark Jr., Wicked Wisdom, and many more, with his current gig being Willow, and that certainly keeps him busy. He's just a badass drummer, and I think you should know about him. His pocket is deep, and his wisdom is wicked. See what I... Anyways, please enjoy, and give him a damn follow. His socials are very inspiring, and he gets an amazing natural sound out of his drums. Cheers. musical family so my dad he's a bass player keyboard player um his brother my uncle terry is a guitar player and their dad frank is a guitar player Mm. and uh so it's kind of like unavoidable really um always had instruments around the house and stuff and uh, i think just naturally gravitated towards the drums um so you know, my, my family, my parents were really cool with supporting, you know, that, um, excitement and passion that I had when they saw it. Also though, at the same time, they were very real about like becoming a professional musician is like, it's a, it's a tough choice. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a commitment. It's a tough choice. And, you know, so I was definitely encouraged to consider going to college and getting a degree in something and whatever. But uh, it's just one of those things, man. I was, you know, I was, I was bad at following through with things that I didn't care about. Mm-hmm. But I always cared about music, and so you know, even through <clears throat> through high school, you know, I would ditch a lot of classes, but I would always show up to like my zero period music classes and, you know, make extra effort to make those classes. Yeah. Um, so it was cool. Like, you know, having the support, um, of a musical family and just growing up, um, you know, I feel I I was pretty lucky early on getting to listen to like some pretty heavy music, like getting, getting comfortable at a young age with hearing like, you know, music you have to think about when you're listening to it, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes I think if you're not exposed to that early or earlier on, it can be laborious mm-hmm. to listen to like, you know, jazz and fusion if you're not accustomed to that kind of rhythmic and harmonic stuff. So I feel really lucky about that. Um, you know, my mom had a really cool record collection. I would like, you know, sit, sit on the floor in the living room, listen to the Earth, Wind and Fire records and, the you know, the Bee Gees and Bob Marley and chuck mangioni and you know just sift through all of her stuff and uh that was real fun and my dad he's a jazz guy so you know some of my first cds and i think and i think the first one that we're going to talk about is one that he bought for me and he okay. was always he was always kind of buying me cool jazz and stuff that he he knew would be uh intellectually engaging and exciting for like you know an up-and-coming musician um, so yeah, feel really lucky in that respect to be exposed to that cool music early on. Well, and you also having a, him be a bass player and, the, and a rhythm guitarist, um, he could probably, and I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I would assume as opposed to people who had drummers as dads, he probably showed you what people actually need out of a drummer as opposed to like, here's these licks that I know. You know, so, I mean, I guess the question is, how do you think having a bass player as a dad 
was maybe giving you a leg up as opposed to just a drummer? There's definitely a lot of emphasis on the uh, importance of the relation to the rhythm section and how that relates to the listener and, and, uh, well, and also just the situation in general. But yeah, you know, he used to joke, joke about like, he, he beat the time into me, (laughs) you know, basically like stressing the importance of like having good time and, 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 you know, not, uh, you know, being, being aware to not disrupt the momentum and the energy that's happening within like a rhythm section at any given time. So, um, and I think that's, that served me well, um, in, in my career, at least with the kind of gigs I've you know, done and held on to are definitely more kind of pocket and groove oriented stuff even though I grew up playing jazz and, and, and really got into like heavy rock music, progressive music and stuff like that too. But it all started the foundation of like, you know, R and B funk soul, you know, being able to play with my dad too, at a young age too, and play with, with his buddies. Cause my dad was a gigging musician too, you know, during the time. So I would spend, I would spend, you know, Thursdays and Fridays going to my dad's gigs, hanging out at the, you know, restaurants and places that he was playing at and get to sit in and play with older musicians. And so I think, you know, that was, that was a good experience too, getting to absorb some of that mojo from the guys who've been doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I didn't really get, get that much into the really flashy stuff until I started discovering these you know these records sort of i think the the records that we're going to talk about today are the ones that got me excited about drummers Mm -hmm. you know the first the first records i heard them like oh man okay i gotta figure this stuff out you know got me excited to to push the limits and you know work out the more uh um you know flashy stuff and technically difficult stuff was it yeah was it the was it the the fact that you didn't understand it that you was kind of like i need to figure this this equation out or is it because you wanted to be more of a flashy like oh my god drummers can actually be on posters this is this is sick i think maybe it's just because of the drummers that i knew personally like within my 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 dad's circle of musician friends and uh you know just the stuff i was exposed to up until i was around teenage years when I started actually taking drumming a little more seriously, mm-hmm. you know, I've been listening to people playing, you know, groove drummers, you know, really tasty groove drummers. And so my real, my idea of a drummer's relationship to the music was kind of different until I started discovering like some, some of the more flashy stuff when I started wanting to take drum lessons mm-hmm. and, you know, focus more on, uh, on, uh, you know, building up technique and stuff. I hadn't heard, you know, I'd heard like straight ahead stuff. I think that was straight ahead was really kind of like my, my first introduction to, to like drummers who could play real freely with a lot of, um, you know, explosiveness and dexterity, but it's still, you know, it's different than when you're, when you're listening to like a, you know, progressive rock drummer or, or, You know, or or then later on when you get into like the the gospel drummers who shape this whole culture of like the chop drumming you hear now. You yeah, know? totally. Yeah. Um, before we get into your top five, I do want to talk about. I mean, you played with Al McKay, a legend. Can you quickly, you know, talk about kind of the genesis of of how that came about? Sure. Um, so I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area originally, from North Bay Area, and um, well, I was still living up there. I think I was like 17 or 18 at the time. Um, a friend of a friend kind of put together the band for a private party in Oakland, I think. And um, the artist was Ellis Hall. And he's a, a keyboard player and singer. And he's played in Tower of Power and the California Raisins and like, he's done a bunch of cool stuff. He's, uh, you know, really cool, soulful, funky keyboard player. And, uh, so we ended up doing, doing that gig and I kind of stayed in touch with Ellis 
when I moved down to LA and the sax player who was playing in the Al McKay band at the time played in Ellis's band mm. in LA. And I guess they, um, the drummer who was doing the band, Mike Shapiro, um, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he was moving on to another gig, and so they're looking at maybe subs or whatever. And through Ellis, Ellis heard that they were looking for drummers. Sure. And so I kind of got a recommendation through there. At the time, I was working at a, um, a bike shop in Santa Monica. That was kind of like my first. I worked at Sam Ash for a little bit in Hollywood, and then I got this bike shop gig. As we all do, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was already kind of on thin ice there because I lived in Hollywood. Oh, the damn, shop that's was a in commute. San Monica. Yeah. And, my, and my truck at the time was broken down. So I was literally riding my bike 13 miles each way, five days a week. Oh so my God, naturally dude. I was late sometimes, you know, yeah. like, you know, I was on thin ice and, uh, yeah, I got a call from from Al one day, um, you know, at the shop. Hey, this is Al McCabe from Earth, Wind and Fire. I have a touring band. We're auditioning drummers. Can you come audition tomorrow? Uh, Yeah. You know, <laughs> the little had, kid in you and your mom's floor is just like hearing Al talk to you. Yeah, you know? well, it's uh, it, yeah, it was kind of just so out of the blue, you know, last thing, last call I expected to get. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had I borrowed my buddy's truck uh, and brought kick, snare and hat because I had to go straight to the shop afterwards, which I was going to be late again. <laughs> of course. So I called. So I called into the shop. Got the inside line. Got the manager. Said, "Hey, man, opportunity came up that I have. I got to take this opportunity. I'll be yeah. in it. I'll be in at noon." He's like, "Yeah, all right, clink." I'm like, "Okay, I'm getting fired regardless." <laughs> yeah. at, the, at this Great. point. So I yeah. So uh, I I show up at the bass player's place. He has a studio um, at his house, and they're holding drum auditions. I got there a little bit early. I'm dressed up for the bike shop. I'm wearing like shorts. Like a t-shirt, you yeah. know, ready to no go sequins. straight. Yeah, yeah, ready to go straight to. The, so, and it's so funny because I don't know who the drummer was that was in there before me, and I'm sure I, I just don't remember who it was. I'm sure I probably know them now. We're probably friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this dude comes out this huge DW kit, beautiful like collectors series kit, and he's like got chains and sunglasses on. He looks cool as fuck. I'm like. Oh, dude, I'm definitely not getting this. You almost want to say, hey, dude, congrats on the game. Yeah, I'm yeah really, really, really. I'm out there in shorts and like <laughs> with kick, snare, and hat, no cases on the drums, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so come in, and it's Al, the bass player at the time, Hussein Jeffrey, and uh, piano player, Ben Dowling. Load him in. You know, hey, nice to meet you. Are you familiar with the Earth, Wind, and Fire tunes? Yeah, I am. Yeah. It's like, cool. So, uh, you know September. Yeah, cool. It's like, cool. Let's just groove on it for a minute. So he starts playing the rhythm guitar. I'm like, oh, dude, that's that rhythm guitar. Damn, you know? dude, yeah. We play like 16 bars. He's like, all right, cool. Um, you know Jupiter? I'm like, yeah, I think so. He's like, cool, just feel it out. He just starts playing, and we groove on it for like, you know, 16, 32 bars. Like, cool. He calls out one of the ballads. We play like another like 30 seconds of the groove. And he's like, cool, call off the rehearsals, like or the auditions. And I'm like, yeah, okay, tight. They're just trying yeah, to get to me go out of easy here. On me, okay? yeah. There's more people like waiting, you know, to come in afterwards. And so <laughs> load out, drive to the shop. Like I had to stash my drums in one of the like side rooms because I didn't have time to go home and drop sure. it off, you know, whatever. And I just kind of avoided everybody. I could feel the energy. Like <laughs> yeah. definitely the manager was like this yeah, Aaron's gone. Like, this is the last time. Like, I tell people we're talking. It's kind of like dusting bikes in the corner trying to avoid everyone. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then I got a call from Al's manager, you know, sometime in the afternoon saying, hey, I want you to do the gig. Do you have a passport? Did you? No. Oh, like, no. He, was, he was like, all right, I'll send you the information to get it, like, rushed. Like, we're leaving for Germany in three weeks. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, and then it was one rehearsal before we left and he just sent me a uh, like a live recording of the show that they were doing with the arrangements and at the time i had v drums in in the apartment i was living in so i just 
would shed with them in the V drums like every day as much as I could. And we yeah. had one rehearsal where I met everybody else for the first time. You know, I was 21 at the time. Jeez. And, uh, you know, there's there's some other original members, Earth, Wind & Fire. Um, the other guitar player is Bruce Connie from Tower Power. Wow. Um, like some heavy some heavy hitters in there. It was like it was really shocking. Yeah, and then we were out. And then from that time on, I did Alice Band for 11 years. Damn, dude. Well, yeah, that says something about you as a person, too. I mean, that's that's a long time for a gig. Yeah, I kind of I kind of grew up, you know, spent my entire 20s with those guys, you know, traveling all over, did 70 plus countries, like all over the place. So very cool experience. And yeah, there's this video of you, sorry to cut you off, but there's this video no of, of you playing, uh, I believe it's the St. Moritz um, the Jazz Festival, mm. and you're like at this top of the mountain, and it's like the backdrop is just picturesque. You are, yeah, you're on the top of a mountain, I'm assuming it's some lodge, but yeah, it looks like you saw some really cool spots, man. Yeah, very, very, very cool, unique experience with those guys, because I think, you know, Al's agent was a European agent, so he was plugged in really into the high-end Europe scene, Europe and Asia. And so most of the stuff we did was all abroad. We only did a handful of gigs in the States with Alice Band. Wow. But yeah, super cool. And a lot of the musicians that I know today, um, I met at festivals, you know, somewhere, wherever, you know, mm -hmm. have like hangs, jam sessions at the festivals. And, and then after, you know, it, it came a time where, you know, I was in my, in my 30s, it was just time for me to pursue some other stuff, you know? Sure. But, uh, yeah, during during that time also, um, I had a, a little stint with Wicked Wisdom with Jada's, Jada Pinkett's yep. band. And um, some, friend, some friends of mine that I had a metal project with um, were in that, were in Jada's band. And so mm -hmm. they recommended me for that. So we did... We did. We recorded a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of stuff that didn't get released. There was a single that got put out, and a bunch of other stuff that didn't get released, which is kind of a bummer because it's cool. It's like really progressive, like metal, like Meshuggah kind of vibe stuff. Oh hell so, yeah! So yeah, it was a lot, a lot of fun, really heavy. Um, but through that, that's how I, that's how I met Willow and mm -hmm. uh, and and the family through that. And, yeah, we've uh, almost seen each other a few times. So we were really close um, at the Odyssey Festival yeah. in, uh, I think, Fort Lauderdale or something. Because I, yeah, I, yeah. I currently play with Cannons. Right. Um, and so it's, it's a lot of the same, you know, vibe of music. And so, and then we played outside the forum the night you guys played inside at the iHeart uh, Radio Festival. We did like the pre-show thing. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even realize. But oh, yeah, cool. we've almost crossed paths so many times through it's the gonna happen. current game. It's yeah, going to happen. I hope it does. I yeah. hope it does even you know, outside of music, but, um, let's just hop into your five. So your first one is burning for buddy came out in 1994 and it's, it's a buddy rich, it's the buddy rich band with various drummers. Uh, I'm assuming a tribute to buddy. Yeah. It's like a memorial tribute and it was actually produced and put on by Neil Peart. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So it was a cool, it's a, you know, um, just paying respect, but this I think was the first, my dad got this for me. Okay. I think it was like a Christmas gift or something. And this was the first record, I think, that really got me excited about drums. Because, you know, here you have, what, 12 different legendary drummers of the time, of like the 90s, you know, doing all this big band music, but putting their, you know, putting their, their own spin, their own flavor on it. It was really cool. Um I don't know. It was just really inspiring. I think this was the first one that was really a spark for me to like start looking up drummers and following drummers and like checking, like discovering what I like about different drummers. Mm -hmm. um, and also this record, like in the process of like picking out the stuff to talk about, because obviously there's a zillion things that have shaped the way I think about drums and of course, yeah. approach music. But I'm trying to think about records in particular that just had had a really you know, really sharp impact on me. And so going back, listening to these, oh, the drums sound enormous on this record. The drums sound like every drummer. I honestly, I don't know if they're playing the same kit or if they're playing their own drums. I would imagine they probably are playing their own drums because they're all, you know, big name guys, but they all yeah. have this, they all have this really big, just like 
big open thick sound to him like it's cool just going back listening to it again i hadn't listened to it in a while i was like oh man it kind of brought back that feeling again yeah it sounds like they are on different kits because the one i want to play right after your song you chose which is love for sale and it's steve gadd on drums i don't know that um you can probably pronounce it better than me but buela buela witch it oh, sounds yeah, Buella Witch, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like it almost it has, has like a like a metal intro, uh, and the drums sound very um, like it should Who, be on a. Who's on a, playing? Is that Matt Sorum? I think is playing on that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's just cool to. I was listening to the records yesterday, and it was just like, oh my god, they're so different. But it's cool that they're still attributing, you know, the same the same original drummer, which is Buddy Rich. But well, um, you know, you know, what's interesting too is that like. You know, everybody has has all the drummers have their unique sound, but they're mm. but it's within the context of these Buddy Rich big. These are the the original arrangements of these tunes, mm. so they they have a certain approach to them. You know, like these arrangements are set up for like lead in fills for hits. It's like that big band kind of thing. And yeah. You have guys who are not from this world playing this stuff, but it still is like pushing them to. I'm sure I'm sure they all did a bunch of listening and rehearsing and all this kind of stuff to feel it out as well. But it's interesting having my introduction to a lot of these guys be this record, because that's also a little bit out of their like zone as well. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting, like and like Matt Sorum, like that was my introduction to him. Yeah, I would have never guessed to hear him in this context and and sound so great. It does. Yeah. So everybody sounds so great and owns it, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a very cool record. So the one the, the, the one thing that, was, that stuck out to me so much about this is the way S- Steve swings. He's just playing quarter notes. All of the inside shit is hi-hat and snare. I mean, occasionally, you know, he's like, occasional spang-a-lang. This is a little more of a snappy snare than, than Steve usually does. It sounds rad. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds really nice, man. I just love the idea that to like swing really hard, it doesn't have to have all the stuff in there. It's like literally a quarter note and just, you know, the right sauce in between to push to emphasize different things. And and he's he's not doing these huge lead-in fills to the figures. He just kind of catches them. So it's really uh, just really fluid, you know? And like the way he comps with the soloist, it almost sounds like he's like, it almost sounds like he's heard the solo before. Cause he's like, they're, they're locked, they're so locked in. But you know, this is recorded live. Yeah, cause he's comping so much, it almost feels like he turns the beat around cause he's just accenting everything so well. Like, but, but again, just that quarter note is holding it down. I love it. Like this right here. So it's like funky. Yeah. Because he's digging in, you know? Yeah. I mean, those sound like big ass rock drums. Exactly, yeah. Yeah.
You know, I, I really like all, all of the performances off this record are really great. I just chose this one in particular because. I mean, it's a good I, choice. I, I think I think I think he has a really unique take on yeah. the way he swings. This drum sounds so good, man. I know. All right, I do want to I do want to play. I think it's it's it was the one right after this. I want to play Buela Witch, and I think you'll see what I mean with like if this is the Matt Sorum one. That right there. Yeah. <laughs> Double kicks. Yeah. And it's so cool with this big heavy rock feel. Exactly. And the big band arrangement. It's a cool like juxtaposition. Yeah, the whole the whole thing is really great. Like every performance has, you know, I think Billy Cobham's on there, um, Simon Phillips, Weckl, um, wow. you know, Neil Peart, Rod mm-hmm. Morgenstein. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's loaded with like a, the the killers of the day, you know. Hey y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right, so number two, let's go on to uh, Believe It. The album's called Believe It. The release year is 1975. The artist is, well, Tony Williams, the new Tony Williams Lifetime, and the song choice is Red Alert. Do you want me to just go ahead and, uh, and I mean, play it? I mean, it, yeah, you, wanna... yeah you, you, can, you can play it from wherever. You know, there's, there's actually there's a handful of tunes on this, off of this record that, mm. um, that I think were really big in the, in the fusion drum community. And I chose this one because I think there's other ones that people like to lean on a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think this this one in particular represents what I like about this record. So perfect. All right. Well, here's here's Red Alert. already i just i love how like rocking it is you know yeah So you know you get all the you get all the Tonyisms 
you know, you get you get all, all the classic Tony stuff, but it's just so dynamic, you know? Yeah, that um, transition right there, going from these huge flams to just this. Very explosive. Um, and it was my, my drum teacher at the time, when I think I was like 14 or 15, mm -hmm. he, he turned me on to Tony Williams and he showed me this stuff and, you know, I don't, I don't think I had heard anything at the time that was like as rocking, but as open and expressive. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, this is, this is kind of like the pinnacle of this like 70s jazz fusion stuff. I just hadn't been really exposed to it, you know? Yeah. So it's cool, like having that, having that big energy, that big like rocking energy, but having the freedom and the kind of like, jazz sensibilities and the approach of stretching and yeah this is just a huge record sure. i think for a, for a lot of drummers but yeah this is this got me really excited so you know the new tony williams lifetime is that that was the name of his band at this time yeah tony williams lifetime was the name of the band um okay. there's a cup there's a couple few records i think there's emergency um and I think what I, what I listened to, I had like a collection that was like the Lifetime Collection, oh, okay. where they had they had select ones off of the different records, and it was a collection on the CD. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, just you know, some really iconic musicianship in general on the records, but uh, you know, some really explosive drumming from Tony. You know. Yeah, it's funny the the album cover of this one is him with his shirt off. And he's, he's got this, like, look on his face that he's, like, he's scheming. Like, he's got this, like, <laughs> playful look on his face that is apparent in his drumming. That he's just like, I'm going to surprise you. I guarantee yeah. that. Well, you know, it's funny. There's, like, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of songs that are really funky off of there. You know, there's, um, there's some ballads. So it's got a cool, like, range of vibes. But, like, I really gravitated towards the stuff where they were kind of smashing it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cool too to see how it looks like he has thicker sticks in this one with a weird, weird taper. It's got this weird, like very drastic tape, like it's really thick, and then it just goes like very thin at the very end. Um, I guess I'm not, I'm not well oh, rehearsed yeah, enough on see. sticks that are like, is that a normal thing? That's something. I, that's what happens to my sticks after I've been playing them for like three years. Yeah, it looks <laughs> like they've hit like the the hi hat like twelve thousand times. Exactly, but. Um, huh, interesting. Yeah, I wonder what those are. Yeah. Super heavy cool. in the front because they got a long, really long uh, shoulder, like short taper. That's interesting. Exactly. But, all right, number three. Not to move on from Tony, but we got to. No, so, I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. So album number three is Back to Oakland. Released year was 1974, so a year before the one we just listened to. And the artist is Tower of Power. The song is Squib Cakes, a really cool song. And that's uh, David Garibaldi on the drums. So, I mean, you got to play with some of these guys, or at least one of these guys with with Al. Was was yeah, the guy that you played with, with Al? Was he? Yeah, was Bruce? Is Bruce on this record? Yeah, he's on that record. Yeah, right on, man. Yeah, it's a cool full circle moment, you know. Yeah. yeah. So where were you when this album came into your life? So my same drum teacher, I should mention his name, Tom Hayashi. He's up in in Sonoma County, and uh, and he actually he played with my dad a lot. Um, just around town, local gigs, really, um, really talented, um, you know, jazz drummer. Um, and he, um, he turned me on to a lot of this stuff and he's a very, very musical drummer. And so he was always bringing in cool stuff to show me. And this was another one, this in particular, this intro to squib cakes, was kind of like my introduction to Tower of Power, maybe when I was like fourteen or fifteen, and we worked mm -hmm. out we worked out this intro because it has this cool. It's like it's kind of linear, but it, but it overlaps on itself, mm -hmm. and it's just it's just super funky. And like yeah, you know. So th this was a honestly, it was one of the exercises that we worked out, and like working out this intro got me into Tower of Power and the whole Garibaldi kind of like linear syncopated funk kind of vibe. Sure. Yeah, that's, you know, iconic. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, here we go. Squib Cakes.
doesn't get much funkier than that. Wow, those those barks are so clean. And you know, it's so funny, like lis listening to this, the classic drum sounds, drum tones with a dry, muted snare. And then you look at the modern Garibaldi sound. And actually, I have I have the Garibaldi snare. That's like one of my go-to's. The 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 piccolo, the blue Yamaha. Yep. And it just cranks. And like you listen to the modern T.O.P. stuff, and it's just all cranked. Like you know, the evolution of his sound is kind of cool. I will say, yeah. Um, before before the world went crazy. Tower of Power at the 2020 NAM was the last, technically the last concert I saw. Oh, so wow. David was the last drummer that I saw in a live setting. So that kind of, you know, gave me the juice for about two years of oh, not yeah, being able to see drummers live. And he still kills it. I mean, even after his accident, it just blew me away. He still yeah. got it. Yeah. This was also this is also a really good example of like how to be really active and play more busy parts tastefully, mm. you know, at, at, in the pocket, serving the music. I mean, obviously, this whole rhythm section they have a vibe together. The way they all play together, they're all kind of like picking in between each other, but. Uh, you know, this is just a perfect example of how you can you can be funky and busy at the same time. And kind of like the way like a lot of his fills happen just kick snare and hat, you know? Which honestly that's probably why you I mean, your skill of course, but I'm assuming showing up with just a kick snare and hat with no cases probably impressed Al and it was like, "Oh, this kid gets it." I mean, I guess I, I I'm Probably. It's a statement, you know. It helped. I'm sure it helped you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's... Honestly, that's what the gig's about anyway. You know, yeah. like like that gig. The yeah. kick, snare, and hat. Like, you know, you could just have a kick, snare, and hat and do that gig, you know? <laughs> so going back to that Al audition, I mean, you definitely... What you just said about how knowing how to be tasteful but not getting in the way. I mean, did you do any fills during that audition or was you just like... Dude, Aaron, just shut the hell up, dude. Just let them shine. Just hold it out, you know, hold it down. Well, but I, it was literally like we're not playing the tune. Like, let's play the groove of the tune. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what it was. It was like, yeah. you know, Al just started playing the rhythm part, and then we just kind of like he just wanted to because he understands when when it comes to particularly like a, a a groove and pocket and feel based chair. You know, feel is one of those things that you can feel right, yep. right away. Yep. You know, and I think that's what he was looking for straight away because, he, you know, all the other stuff doesn't matter if it doesn't feel right. Yep. So, um, you know, he definitely took a chance, I, th I think, but his intuition, I guess, served us both. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I think I think he made the right call for sure. Uh, yeah, because that has to feel so good. Obviously, getting a yes for any gig, whether it's you know the first one where you get paid fifty bucks or whatever, it's just like. But to have a guy like Al and and a guy like Bruce give you the, like, no, this is a kid that like. I mean, it just has to feel better because they've heard the best, they've played with the best, they've felt the best, and for that to get that kind of a call. It's definitely one of the. It was definitely one of those like imposter syndrome kind of things for a while. And to be honest, like, you know, I did, I did get some hazing from some people. You know, I definitely was put put to the to the test off stage. Mm. You know, by some OGs and stuff like that. So that was another that was another interesting part of of the gig that took some years to kind of like earn the respect of some of the guys who have been doing it since the 60s and you know without naming names can you embellish a little bit by what you mean by that <laughs> <laughs> or maybe uh, change change the facts so like so you know it's like whatever they say before a law and order episode the names well, and locations have been changed i mean i can i can see through all of it now mm -hmm. but at the time like there's definitely there's some sort of intimidation 
some kind of like testing me on my knowledge of the history, not only musically but culturally. Mm-hmm. And it just took a certain amount of time. You know, there there was there was some 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 moments where I kind of like stuck my neck out in certain tough situations where maybe somebody was going to get in trouble for something. Mm. Oh, I see. You know, you showed you were a loyal guy. Yeah. There's a couple of moments where where I really, you know, <laughs> took the opportunity to to stand up for some people and earn some respect and that went a long way as well. Hell yeah. Uh, but you know, I guess that just goes to show that, you know, the playing is only part of the equation, um, mm-hmm. you know, as a, a band member, as a crew member, as a part of the team, you know. Well, that's so, why I was saying to be a part of that crew for 11 years, at least personally for me, not knowing you super well. I mean, that says a lot about you as a person, because that's a long time for them to keep wanting you there. Well, I think I think luckily I was so young, too. I was still... You know, I, I hadn't been cemented into the character, you know, that I, I was still malleable and still trying to figure out what I am, who sure. I am, you know. And so, you know, I think that was lucky that I got to, you know, they, it, I wasn't stuck in my ways. You know, I could, yeah. I could, I could learn and, and, uh, and, and, and I wanted to, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is, that's, that, that last part's the key. You well, know. And, and you know, also just because of just the 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 leg the legacy nature of the band and the individuals and and uh, you know couldn't help but but respect that and want to be a part of that somehow you know play a part in that in that chain of the legacy you know yeah I also play in a band. Um, I also play with Eve Six, and they're they're a legacy band for sure. Yeah. And I always joke about like I have opinions, they have gold records. So it's like let's just uh, there's that dynamic when when things go, you know, things get stressful on the road. It's like you guys are right, you guys know more than me. So yeah, you know, choose your battles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But back to Squib Cakes. Yeah, that's okay. a, um, like I said to when we were listening to it. Those barks are so clean, and uh, I haven't heard this record. Um, that much to be honest with you and and david always surprises me he's he's insane i mean the whole the whole record's fantastic this just this one in particular this was my introduction okay to, to tower of power like i you know i was like oh shit what is this yeah, i'm trying to think what my first record i heard of them it was the it was it's a live record and it starts out with soul with a capital s oh um, yeah it's live in san francisco i think yep, i know what you're one. talking about yeah which i actually don't know i think i said this it was like way back in the day someone on twitter was like that's not that's actually not david on the drums on that record but um i think there was some you know no it is it is okay well there well yeah. there you go because <laughs> i said it was and then i got yelled at but i think uh I would assume you're the authority on that, so it is. I think it sounds I think amazing. I, that might be that might be easy to confuse in that band because there's been moments with you know there's different singers. There's been you know uh, guitar players who have gone through there. There was t- you know times when Rocco had been sick and not doing it. Mm-hmm. You know even before he passed, and uh, yeah, and then Dave his accident, and so it's uh, easy to confuse all that stuff. But I'm pretty positive it's Dave on that. Well, good. Then I stand corrected. Uh, <laughs> number or stand not corrected. I'm corrected of being corrected. Um, all right. So number four, and this is actually cool. I just just this morning I dropped off some big fat snare drum stuff for Gunner Olson, who's actually playing with with Pussifer. So um, and Danny Danny Carey's uh, drum tech is actually going on tour, being Gunner's drum tech for this tour. So it was cool. Yeah, I would. That'd be awesome. It's also intimidating to see the drum tech. He's like, I watch Danny every night. You better step it up. Yeah, but of right. course, Gunner kills it. He's he's yeah. he's been playing with Pussifer for years now. But um, Anima, Enema, Anima. Uh, the release here is 1996. And sorry, I'm building this up too much. It is Tool, and Danny Carey is the drummer for Tool. And so the song choice is Jimmy. But but yeah, where were you when when Anima came in, into your life? At the time, that's when I, I listened to a lot of radio. And I was what twelve, I guess. Yeah, and uh, I had heard "Sober" off of their previous record. Okay, on the radio. It was in. It was in. Um, I couldn't figure out who it was because it was in like in the middle of a, 
a segment. They played a bunch of stuff and they didn't yeah. say who it was. And so I remember I heard it a couple of times. I'm like, man, who is this? Finally, they said it. And, uh, and so I went to the warehouse music and this had just come up and uh, it was like a fresh release and I bought it and it blew my mind. And, uh, yeah, basically the whole record. I'd never heard anything like it in my entire life. Um, it's so funny you say, uh, you know, the whole radio thing. Because I remember uh, I, I lived in Spokane, Washington for a few, a few years, and there was a station called The Peak. And the reason why I love that station is because after every song, they said who it was. Well, I remember, I remember fu funny enough, because they would do the kind of thing where would, they would do like a segment of music. They would, they would say who the song is that's starting with. Mm -hmm. And then they would play a bunch of tunes and then they would end with something and say who the last one was. Mm -hmm. And then they said, yeah, in that segment, you know, we heard songs from so-and-so, so-and-so, this, this, and that. And you couldn't tell who was what. Yeah. And I remember I bought a Candlebox album, you know, Candlebox. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I bought one of their CDs thinking it was Tool. <laughs> yeah. Because I, because I just heard the way that they were saying the things that played, you sure. know, and I just misinterpreted. I didn't know Candlebox or Tool by name. And so I, bought, I discovered Candlebox trying to buy a Tool record. Well, so yeah, it's almost like the record labels <laughs> purposely told the radio to like, don't tell them, so they have to go to the record store and buy five records. Yeah, right. But all right, yeah, here's here's Jimmy by by Tool off Anima. Yeah. Such a cool tone. Dude, everything about this record is just excellent. What was really cool about my my teacher at the time, Tom Hayashi, is that he was really interested into like what I was discovering too. So I would bring in stuff to show him and we would work out the parts together. And so I brought in this record and we worked out a bunch of these like the polyrhythmic hi-hat, you know, stuff that Danny would do. We'd work out these tunes. That's so cool because then you got to see how he were like how he compartmentalized stuff. Was it was it vertical? Was it horizontal? Like how did he break things down? So as a as a student, that's that's priceless. No, it was it was, it was really cool, and also like it was it was inspiring to him too because it was stuff he'd never heard before too. You know, he's more of like a you know a, a jazz and kind of older school cat. I'm bringing in like this new tool record and he's like, what on earth is this? Yeah. <laughs> I think this is that, that, um, Peisty kit. The one that's made out of Peisty symbols? Out of symbols, yeah. With the wow. mesh heads. Yeah. That's why they just, they're like, it's all attack. The toms are just like crack, crack. Yeah, right. You said that there's a. They just, to do. It's, it's just like attack, all attack. So you said it was mesh heads uh, on the resonant side. Oh, I, I had no idea. I think it's. I know the I kit you're talking about, but I didn't know that's how I'm they pretty sure. Came. I know the kicks were because I saw it at Nam. The kicks were mesh heads, and I think the bottoms were too. I think that's why they're so fast because it's kind of like they're almost like concert toms. Yeah. Because they have like a mesh head on the bottom. But this this was one of the records that, that when I finally had like I had my first real like drum kit. I had like an export select kit, you know, and I I had a a, a a master's brass snare drum that I got secondhand, you know, at the music store. I was using using my uh, uh, my allowance and paper route money and whatever, you know. Sure. Um, and I would come home from, I think it's middle school when I was really like shedding to this, and I would put on the headphones and just play through the whole record and try to figure out the parts, try to figure out these huge like lead-in fills that go, you know, he had, he had like five more toms than I had on my kit, yeah. so I'd try to figure out how to play it on the shit that I exactly. had, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, this whole this whole record, I think, was obviously the drumming is you know spectacular, and the and the sound, the drum sounds are amazing, and just something about the whole record, the production, the vibe. Because I don't, I didn't, I don't think I'd listen to anything that like this record put puts you in a like if you listen to the record, the whole record, just straight through. It's this interesting, unsettling experience where it's like cool and like inspiring, but it's also dark and mysterious, and you almost get creeped out yeah, at times. Yeah. And like you know, it's just the whole experience. the The, the production I had never heard production like that with all, all the all the crazy like uh, vocal effects stuff and reverse delays and you know it's like the i don't know it was just something really special about that record that i think in my opinion i don't think any of the other records hold up Mm. to this just from the sheer nature of it kind of set the standard you know like it did new things and i don't think the other ones have quite done they're doing the same thing Oh, I see what you're saying. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like they're great yeah. records, and the playing is awesome and everything. But this, when this came out, it was like, whoa, okay, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta think about some things. I gotta, I gotta practice this stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. It really, it was really inspiring. Have you seen Danny live? Have you seen Tool live? Yeah, yeah. I saw him up in in Sacramento when I was still up in Bay Area. I think he's a big influence in the way that I play rock music because his his sensibilities of the way he creates a, a, a I don't know pun- punctuation in in his feel he plays really busy stuff but it's not it's always rooted and connected with everything that's happening it's all part it's you know it's all interwoven with everything like nothing really stands out unless it's meant to and the moments that he takes to take these big fills are really bold and i don't know i think i just i, I tried to absorb as much of that as i could because i feel like he really he makes you feel like like everything that's happening in those moments you know like he leads you there's like a momentum to like the big moments that happen and you know when it's low and he's playing dynamically it's still all these like percolating like cool rhythmic parts that are happening that are melodically serving parts too you know from his from his toms and he plays a lot of like um snare drum with the snares off mm-hmm, yep so that adds another voice in the more melodic kind of sense the way when he plays like tom grooves and stuff yeah very very inspiring hell yeah dude all right number five and this is uh this is quest love is the drummer it's the album's voodoo Surprisingly, no one really talks about this record on on this this show's format. So I'm stoked really? you, uh, yeah, I'm stoked you gave it a little plug. Release years 2000. The artist is D'Angelo, and the song is is Playa Playa, and yeah, Questlove on drums. But uh, let, let's talk a little bit about it, and then we'll and then we'll jump into it. Okay. Um, so I I had been previously, you know, aware of Questlove, and I had listened to you know the Roots. And I'm not sure if it if it was before or after this, but there was that um, the Philadelphia Experiment, which was Questlove and Pat Martino. Basically, it was like hip hop jazz. It was like bebop, like guitar, like bebop with Questlove playing like you know doing the Questlove thing on top Mm -hmm. of these like and Christian Bride I think on bass. So it was like really heavy like jazz shit, but with with quest loves thing so i i've been familiar with him but this record in particular i had never like i had never really heard the kind of the feel like the relationship that like the bass and the drums have it at, at, like they do in this record with pino paladino mm. on bass the quest love yeah. and uh you know this was just another one of those records that i hadn't heard any i had heard d'angelo's previous record but i bought that and loved it but that was all programmed you know everything was uh you know so it had a certain rigidity to it even though his feel is really fluid and loose with his vocal stuff and the keys and all that kind of stuff but you know there was a lot of programmed stuff and the drums felt you know more more um 
more strict in the interpretation. Yeah. Hearing this and why I picked this, this song in particular is because this is this was just this is the introduction to this record. It perfectly uh, just represents everything that is just so perfect about this record. The feel. I love everything about it, like all the instrumentation, the the vocals, the vocal production, because they all they all are kind of intertwined in one way or another. But this this has this really laid back kind of feeling. Um, Questlove, he's sort of like he's he's not he's playing that he's got that kind of like Dilla ish sort of feel happening thing happening, but he's. He's very uh, fluid with the kick drum. He's like comping with the kick drum, with the bass, because the bass is pushing in different ways. It feels very free. It feels very, very live. And just some about this feel is just undeniable. And just the, the kind of freedom and fluidity between the, the bass and the drums mm-hmm. is just really something special. Also, the drum, the drum tones are really cool on this record, too. Kick drum sounds so cool. It's like open a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when they drop into the groove here, listen to the kick drum. He's like he's comping with the kick. It's so funky and it just is a perfect example of like using space as a part of your phrase. Mm-hmm. You know, because he'll he'll leave some of the downbeats open. And it leaves you a little hole. It's really subtle, but it's very um, intentional. Yeah, it's so powerful. It's kick, snare, and hat. See what I'm talking about with the kick drum? Yeah. Because he's not playing a pattern per se. The, the length of his hi-hat opens, sometimes it goes pssst, and it goes pssst. Yeah. You know, like that right there, yeah. the full the full quarter note. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
crash symbol in sight. And then of course Pino's just holding it. I mean, doing doing his but that's thing. What, but that's what I'm saying. Like the 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 language is happening between the bass and the drums. It's just it's, it's something so special. Yeah. It feels really like um, elastic. You know, it's like Pino will have these runs where they come up, and like you can feel Questlove feel it, and he'll like leave space and emphasize like you know like you can feel this thing happening. It's just so cool, man. This is like some of the most sophisticated sounded grooving I think that I had heard at the time because it just feels so intentional. It feels so present, but it's also so minimal. It, intention is so much of what, of what gets portrayed in the bigger picture. This this whole this whole record is really really fantastic, but you know they they started off with bang that really like blew my mind the first time I heard that I was like holy shit this is very intellectual to me mm -hmm. like it feels like someone who's thought a lot about what they're doing yeah you know like like with intention and they understand what their intention is whereas like you know it's really easy to get to to just to see uh, other musicians who are like pushing the physical boundaries of the instrument. And of course, you know, I think it's in anyone's nature to want to be as good as they can on what they're, you know, whatever they're doing. But um, I think it's, it's one of those things where the message can get convoluted really easily, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so that's one thing I, I, you know, I, I, took from from this record and um it's one of the things i value more and more these days is um subtlety nuance yeah you know and an intention that's the kind of stuff that impresses me like I, I find myself being impressed more these days when i hear somebody made a choice to not go there sure you know like mm -hmm. i was like oh like it felt like it was going there oh okay yeah. Okay, you know, it's like these little these little things that that stand out to me. People, you know, make make sophisticated choices. You know, there's a time and a place for everything, but like for me, my my honest opinion is, you know, if you play if you play two solid bars of thirty second notes, I know you got it. No more of that is going to prove to me that any more than you've already done in those two bars that you can do that. Yeah. You know, it's like what you choose to do with it. That's more of like, that's where I'm at these days. Totally. You know? um, well, Aaron, that's your, th that's your top five, man. Um, I do, as always, I give, I want to give you the chance to uh, put some light on what you're doing. How can people find you if they want, you know, if they want to just see more and hear more of you, um, the floor is yours. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, put stuff on Instagram fre frequently, just my own, um, kind of random ramblings, um, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, I'm, I'm, like we said earlier, I'm playing with Willow. Um, and we do have a bunch of stuff coming up this summer. We're doing the machine gun Kelly tour starting in July and then, you know, festivals and stuff like that. So we'll be getting around with Willow. Um, I do play locally in LA, you know, occasionally here and there. Um, best way to keep up on that is to follow my Instagram. That's kind of like where I'm active. Which is Aaron and on drums. Aaron I'll, on I'll, drums. I'll link it all. I'll link it all in the show notes. But and then uh, yeah, and then I have a couple of, of of releases that I put out in the last couple of years. That um, one is a record I did during the pandemic that kind of started initially as a bunch of um, sort of just Instagram content ideas when the pandemic hit it's kind of like that 
that scare of like, uh oh, you know. So I made a real effort to to put up a lot of content, and so you know I'd make little ideas and play drums to them, and I ended up having a ton of these ideas, and I kind of shaped them into a, a record. So that first one is twenty tracks. Some of them are more songs, some of them are more just beats and ideas, but it's all kind of experimental stuff mm-hmm. um, across different genre lines. And then uh, just recently, the last couple of months, I put out another beat tape that's more like kind of hip hop lo fi vibe because I like experimenting with, you know, sounds, tape stuff, and whatever. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can find that stuff on the streaming services and everything under my name, Aaron Haggerty. Okay. I, I will talk to you after we say goodbye real quick but um yeah i guess i'll just uh let you go man we'll do it we'll do a little fake goodbye so i'll be like hey have a good day just say hey thanks man and then i'll we'll keep talking but right. uh, <laughs> uh have a good day dude thank you so much all right thank you appreciate it and that's the show if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews do that it helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye!